In this episode, I talk about GM-controlled characters within a campaign and Loz pops in to provide us with an essential update. Welcome to the Mythwas Matters Podcast, Season 1, Episode 36, Essential Updates and Controlling That Character. And welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I am your host, Inwills, and welcome to May. Well, this is episode 36, which means I have been going for three years. Woohoo! Yes, I have a cake here with candles on, so please sing happy birthday to the podcast as I blow out the candles. I made a wish as well. To be honest with you, I never thought the podcast would last beyond one year, let alone three. A lot has changed during those three years. I've met loads of really fantastic and creative creators and I've learned so much from them and the games that I am now playing. On the downside, I have bought so many supplements due to being inspired by the chats I've had. That means that my bank account account is not as healthy as it was. Plus, I think I need an extra eight hours a day to fit in all the games I want to play. This would probably be a time that I could talk about my favourite interviews or episodes, but really I've enjoyed so many I don't think I could choose one. They range from chats about supplements, about time periods and settings, through combat modules, adventures and even new rule sets. And talking about new rule sets, I must say I have enjoyed talking to Mike and Brian, the creators of Destined, in past episodes. And I'm so excited to get my hands on a copy of Destined and start a campaign where the players are super villains rather than the good people. Being a superhero must be everyone's dream. We will have Loz popping in later to provide some updates. But before then, I have a topic that I would like to discuss with you. So settle back and enjoy the content. As a GM, I rarely get the opportunity to play characters. I really enjoy playing my character in the Leoness campaign when Loz GM'd for the group. But apart from that, I rarely get the opportunity. I do, of course, get to play a range of NPCs. These I really like to create, but I have to say that my limiting acting voices does mean that the 
often the NPCs in the campaign end up all sounding exactly the same. Does anyone else have that issue? Coupled with the fact that I sometimes forget the voice that I originally started with when I first introduced the character means that my own NPCs can have a range of different voices throughout every adventure. When one of our group left, we were left with a predicament with some of the main roles of the group missing. Within Mithras, the group lost their main tank and in M-Space, they lost their medic. So in order to fill the gap, I created a character that I would be playing with the players in the group. So I wanted to share with you what I had learned from the experience and my recommendations for you if you want to do it or if I did it again. So my first recommendation would be to make them silent. Obviously, I didn't want the GM character to be providing all the answers to everything within the sessions. But at the same time, I wanted them to be there when the party was struggling. Because of this, I created two characters that would naturally be silent when the party were discussing things. Ulrich was naturally silent and really quite sinister, while Purdy can often be found recharging or maintaining her programming while staying silent until spoken to. Even though they were generally silent, they were still somehow realistic. I really wanted them to be part of the group and actually interact with them. I didn't want them to be some a character that just stood on the sidelines and then quickly burst into action when combat was there. And so I developed a silent approach, but uh, opportunities for them to engage with. With Ulrich, it was he would probably stay silent until requested to speak. Although I've developed Purdy in such a way that she often enjoys talking just to annoy the party. My next recommendation would be to make their skills needed. This was initially why the additional characters were created, but they did have to have a role within the group. Purdy is an excellent medical robot and will often be ordered into action when things start to go badly. These skills are not covered by anyone else in the group and so she is often needed within the session or the adventure. If these skills are not needed, then the purpose of the additional character is just removed. This has happened in the Mithras game. I really thought that the party needed a tank to support them in combat. But as the game has progressed, the party has proved that Ulrich is not actually needed anymore, which means he will be retired. It's a shame, but I really did enjoy his background and I enjoyed playing him. And I hope he will return again in the future, maybe as an NPC. Next up, 
introducing or exploring new or existing rules. Often there are elements of the game that I want to try as a GM to see how the rules work. Having a GM controlled player in the game has really supported my understanding of the rules and especially with Ulrich an understanding of combat and combat specials. I've learnt so much by playing him with his passive blocking and shield and what I've learnt will definitely be used in future combats. That really is one of the reasons I wanted to play Mithras since the fighters are really combat experts with their specials. But having a GM controlled character really has let me understand the rules and understand the specials and to understand the positives and the negatives of each approach. You might get this by playing a one-off NPC, but in the case of Ulrich, I was able to experience it live in every session. And yeah, be careful players. I now know all about those combat specials. Before I share with you my two final recommendations, I just wanted to remind that you that if you would like to hear the rule guru explain all about passive blocking, then you can find his explanation in episode 21 of the podcast. I must say I learned so much from this segment and it really supported and improved my playing with a shield. So what are the final two recommendations I would like to give to you about playing a GM controlled character in your campaigns? Well, number four would be having your own character allows you to promote a range of ideas. This is because they can be a constant source of information for the group. They could know about the local area, the local fauna and flora, or even local residents, or even provide information about legends or myths. This really allows you as the GM to share and promote new storylines or ideas. Often, I would find that the players would interact with the GM-controlled character that would actually provide me with ideas for new adventures. I'm also looking forward to the day that Purdy is in trouble or needs the party's help. Will they see her as a party member or just a robot that could be shut down or just ground down to metal dust? A situation like this will let me know what they actually think of Purdy and whether they consider her a disposable lump of metal or is she something more to the party. And finally, my final recommendation about playing a GM-controlled character is helping the party. We know as GMs that there are often times that we might need to support the party a little bit. This might be to help them decide what their next move should be or their goal or where they should be heading off next. The Call of Cthulhu game has a nice skill to deal with this situation and this is the idea role. And although this 
could and maybe should be easily adapted and included into any game, having a player character controlled by the DM within the group really allowed me to provide an opportunity to support them or provide them with uh, an additional nudge in the general direction. As well as this, it also allowed me to cast some fog over their current action or plan. Now, what I mean by casting fog is that sometimes at the GM, I might feel that I want to hinder the group a bit by throwing a curveball or red herring into the mix. You might all be thinking that this is a bit mean, but please don't judge me. I never lead them completely astray. Sometimes it is just so I can have a smug smile behind my GM screen. Although Ulrich is leaving the group, I've really enjoyed playing him as a GM controlled character and his backstory was pure joy to create. Purdy will continue to be a joy to be played. Yes, I know she often mimics C-3PO from the Star Wars franchise, but she is fun to play. And I really like the way she is developing her own personality and character. So if you are ever put into the position when an extra character is needed in the party and you don't have an additional player, then do consider using a GM-controlled characters, especially regarding the recommendations and the positives I have shared here. There are some negatives, I know, but I'll let you discover those all by yourself. Remember, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, then why not drop me an email or message and let me know what you would like to cover. I'm always looking for reviews or chats with people. So if you're interested, you can email me at inwills at gmail.com or send me a message on the various forums I frequent. And I am still looking for somebody or a group of people who play after the Vampire Wars. I actually bought this supplement when I first started my journey with Mithras. And I'm wondering, is there anybody out there who actually plays it? If you do, then do get in touch with me. I would love to have a chat with you for the podcast. Okay, next up, we welcome back Loz with an essential update. Over to you, Loz. Hello, it's Lawrence here with some news and updates on what's happening behind the scenes at the design mechanism. So the first thing that I want to talk about is our brand new storefront. As you will have noticed, we've updated the store significantly. And this is a result of a new partnership that we forged with the big commerce platform. And we've done this for a couple of reasons. The first is the store look, feel and functionality. It's much improved over the old store application. Easier to use, easier to search, and certainly easier for us to administer. It offers a much better customer experience all round, and we think that you'll really like the change. 
Second, and perhaps more importantly, is the fact that the big commerce platform allows us to integrate all our books directly with Lulu via its direct API system. This means that any book that you buy from our store is transmitted to your nearest Lulu print on demand center, is produced to order and shipped straight to you. We've been steadily moving away from the old offset warehouse distribution model for our books over the past couple of years. And this integration between our store and Lulu completes the transition to a full print on demand system for us. It's far more cost effective for a company of our size to operate in this way. And it should also help us to bring books and games to market faster. The quality from Lulu is absolutely fantastic. It's been improving immeasurably over the past few years, and we've been really impressed with all the copies that we've seen. That encouraged us to take this step, and we think that everybody will appreciate the quality that's coming through. So, Next up is our biggest news of the month, and that's the release of Destined, our full superhero game. Written by Mike Larrymore and Brian Pivik, and superbly illustrated by Rowena Rosenberger, James Turpin and Dean Cotts, Destined is the culmination of a project that we began several years ago with the scenario Agony and Ecstasy. In that scenario, Mike Larrymore developed a new approach to superpowers for D100 games, and we were impressed enough with the system he developed to commission a full game. The result is awesome, and Destined has, within a few days of going on sale, made number two in DriveThru RPG's bestsellers list and proved to be a bestseller on the new store. Mithras Matters has already covered Destined in a previous episode, so I won't go into too much detail here, except to say that I'm really proud of the work that the Destined team have done. Mike and Brian's rules, Sophia's art direction and design, and the artist's representations of the heroes and villains of Gemelos City. Destined is a great addition to the Mithras family, and we already have plans for ready for scenarios and expansions. So well done, Mike, Brian, and the team. I'm really pleased to see Destined finally here. It's a great game. The next book that we're looking at releasing is Mythic Polynesia, the latest in our Mythic Earth line. Mark Shirley brings to life the vibrant cultures of the many islands of Polynesia, exploring their myths, ways of life, beliefs, gods, customs and practices. It has the level of detail and accessibility that you've come to expect from our Mythic's range, and it offers new and fertile gaming territory that's quite different to our other Mythic Earth, Mythic Earth settings. It's once again brilliantly illustrated by Rowena and James, and the book is completed layout and is going through first proofreading as we speak. We anticipate a late summer release, and there will, of course, be a comprehensive preview available over the course of the next few weeks. Hot off the press this week is The Unearthed Companion, the long-awaited expansion for classic fantasy. The Companion takes the system all the way to rank 5, with new character options, new spells, new monsters, new treasure, and a few tweaks here and there to fix some errata that came to light after classic fantasy's original release. We anticipate that, with art, editing, layout and proofreading, The Unearthed Companion will be published towards Christmas time. Rodney has done a fantastic piece of work here. Uh, it's a long revision that we've had to go through, but we've finally got the manuscript ready and it's already into the editing process. Other manuscripts that we're working on and steadily moving their way through the pipeline are Dan True's Book of Schemes, which details the city-state of Gildan, a Germanic-inspired fantasy setting filled with intrigue, scheming and opportunities for political adventuring in a well-crafted late medieval environment. 
Layout and artwork are underway for the Book of Schemes, and alongside it, we're developing a small Mithras expansion dealing with simple rules for factions of all kinds. These expand on the rules for cults and brotherhoods from the core Mithras rules, but offer a solid framework for representing activities at a societal level. They complement both the Book of Schemes and Mythic Britain Gwynedd, which will shortly be entering the art and layout process for an early 2023 release. So we've got lots going on as ever. And one thing to mention before I close, and that is that this is our 10th anniversary. 2022 marks a decade since we first published RuneQuest 6, and to mark the occasion, we're planning something to hopefully involve the whole community and showcase our games and settings. There'll be more information on that as plans develop. But until then, thank you for listening and for helping make Mithras matter. Thank you for that update, Lars. As always, loads of really exciting and interesting developments on the horizon. Next month, we're going to have the Rules Guru revisiting us. So that's definitely something to look forward to. I always improve my GMing due to his insightfulness and hope you do as well. Now, as well as contributing to the podcast, remember you can also let us know what you would like to be featured in an episode. While making the Mithras Rules videos, there was always cries within the comments for the for an animist video, which I eventually got round to producing. And the episode number 34 of this podcast also had an abundance of content relating to an animist, as Rael and John supported my understanding of the spirits and the creation of orders associated with animists. Coming up next, my top three tips about creating orders within your Mithras campaign. This month, I will be publishing a YouTube video about how I use the site World Anvil to store and create my encounters and adventures. If you are still watching by the end of the video, you will see a glimpse of the sorcery orders that I've created for our Odes campaign. When I moved from D&D to Mithras, I was both excited and a little daunted by the creation of the orders. But in the end, it is something that I really enjoy doing and still do enjoy as players play characters who operate within these orders. So in case you are starting out or you're about to create your own orders, I thought I would share with you my top three tips for creating orders. Okay, so top tip number one, don't reinvent the wheel. Whenever we mention Cyrus's order within our actual plays, there's always the joke about whether or not it needs to be copyrighted or not. This is because when I created the sorcery orders of Odes, I wanted to represent them via colours, red, blue, white and black. But as well as representing the colours, I also wished to or wanted to assign animals to them. With this in mind, I allocated the phoenix to the Red Order and named it the Order of the Phoenix. Harry Potter fans will now see the connection. 
some of you listening might recognize that the actual um, orders of sorcery within Odesses are actually based on the three orders of mages from the Dragonlance world, with the blue one being added. And this is definitely my first top tip. You don't have to recreate something completely new. In fact, sometimes if the players are somewhat familiar with the organization or the names, it can actually promote a better immersion in the world. Each of the sorcery orders have specific domains in which they operate. And again, these were not created from news, new. I actually use the information provided in the core rulebook in the example of cults, orders and brotherhoods on page 211. I think everyone recognises that GMs are just as busy as other people. So using what is already out there can really support the creation of any new aspects of your campaign world. Top tip number three, believe it or not, less is more. Whenever I'm creating something, I always have the need to provide every ounce of detail about it. Whether this is a new weapon, spell, corporation, NPC or order. This need to provide the order in completion can actually mean that the sharing or the implementation of the order or the actual gaming session can be delayed. So when I started to create the theist gods and their orders within the campaign world, I actually created them in various degrees of completion. It was hard, but I managed to refrain from going deeply into every single one. When Mr. Pickles decided to play a theist from the order of Amriel, I fleshed out that order more. With the other orders or the other gods and goddesses or deities, I left them in various degrees of completion. Some have only the gods' names and nothing else. My reasoning behind this is that until someone wants to play a theist from that order or I want to provide encounters with that order, I don't actually need to completely create them. Indeed, leaving them not complete actually allows me to add more detail when needed, along with the help of the players. And this leads me on to my final top tip. Top tip number three, be a lazy GM. I am hoping at this point that the creative people listening to this podcast episode are the same as me when it comes to dipping into their wells and reserves of creativity. I have to admit that sometimes I go to my well or reserves and it is, well, truly empty. At times like this, I have to do something completely different in order to allow the creativity well to be restocked. Please tell me I'm not the only one that this happens to. When I was creating the sorcery orders of Odes, I did the best I could at that time. But then, as I mentioned in my second top tip, I left them. The reason I left them was not only because my creativity well was empty, but also because I wanted the players to have some input with them. As the Order of the Kraken, the Blue Order and Gulliver's Order developed, the player contributed to the Order about the sorts of spells that could be used. 
In a similar way, Cyrus's player, Captain Kangaroo, has contributed to the development of the Red Order. And I have even grabbed some fantastic ideas from the Discord and the Tapper Talks forums that were provided in answer to some of my questions. Players and members of the excellent Mithras community have really supported the development of the Orders in our campaign world, and for this I am so grateful. Maybe it is because I am lazy, but the creation of content within any campaign definitely contributes positively to the feel of the campaign, and the players can feel that they have somehow co-created and contributed to the world that they adventure in. And sorry for the email bleeps then. Drat! And those are my three top tips for creating orders within a Mithras campaign accompanied by email alerts. If you have any tips to share, or even if you have created your own orders, then do let us know in the Discord or the forums. And if you are really brave, and this is not for the foolhardy, you can also leave a recorded message for the show by using the link in the show notes. I will, of course, play any recorded message in the next episode of Mithras Matters. And that's it. Another episode of Mithras Matters completed. Don't forget you can check out all my content by following my YouTube channel and the campaign areas on World Anvil. I really appreciate your support and do check out the Tapper Talk forums and the Discord where there are some great people there sharing their ideas within discussions. So, until next time, have a great month of gaming, everyone, and I will chat to you all again in June. Until then, I hope all your opposed worlds succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Thanks for listening, everyone. See ya. Bye. The content of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license, so please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you.